He's kind of wily. He does not tell stories in order. He is all over the place. He's kind of like when a kid comes back from summer vacation and you say, hey, John, how was your summer? Oh, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. And it's not in order at all. It's in the order of what was exciting and what was thrilling. And at the end of John, you get, um, so Jesus lived 33, if Jesus was 33 years old, which is what historians kind of guess, um, about half of John is the last week of Jesus's life. So this is not the Gospel of Luke, where you get kind of play by play. Luke says, this is all in order. I did my research. I'm laying it out. I'm meticulous. John is, I love Jesus and I want to tell you all about him. Oh my gosh, and you won't believe the last week he was alive. This, 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 this. And he tells you the whole thing. But we're not there yet. We're just in John 7. So John, like I said, John 6 was Passover. He feeds all the people. It's in the context of Passover and the bread of life. And he talks about the bread of life. And he's the bread of life. John 7 starts out, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So he stays around in Galilee. This is north of the Sea of Galilee. It's the whole, um, when we talked about the Samaritan woman, and it's a three-day trip to go around because they won't cut through Samaria. So he stays up there away from Jerusalem probably the whole time from Passover, which is in the spring, think about Easter time, until the Feast of Sukkot, which is here in the fall. Now the Jews' Feast of Booths, uh, different translations are going to say different things. Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths, Sukkot, um, and it is, it's a holiday. Feast of, Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand, so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, so your disciples may see the works you're doing, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Not even his brothers. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify about it that its works are evil. You guys go on up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast. For my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. All right, so what's going on? Jesus has brothers. And there's a lot of theories. There's a lot of explanation in church history about this, about, you know, who are these guys that are brothers of Jesus? One of them is James. Turns out, like, the book of James, James, that James. And... Um, you know, there's, there's stuff in church tradition that Mary was a virgin, that she never had any children, even after Jesus was born. So how can he have brothers? And I've, I've you know, gone around and asked different people this and read, and, and the, best, the best explanation I've ever heard was that Mary, that Joseph was a widow, widower, and then he married Mary. And that he had all these older brothers, that he had all these children by his first wife, that passed away, and then he would marry Mary, Mary, Mary. And she'd be 
considerably younger, and then she would have Jesus, so Jesus would be the little brother of all of these other guys. Then Joseph would die because he's so much older, and that's why Joseph isn't mentioned. Okay, all of that is conjecture and just inferring, but a lot of it makes sense too because Jesus would be the one always asking at Passover because it was always the, the youngest brother that would put Jesus always asking the questions at Passover, stuff like that. So if that's a stumble for you, try that one. Either way, there are brothers. And there are brothers, and they don't even believe that Jesus is the Son of God, or that Jesus is sent by God, or that Jesus is a prophet. And so if they don't believe, what that tells us is that Jesus wasn't at home being a magician, being a wizard, right? It wasn't clean up your room and Jesus wiggled his nose like on Bewitched and all the clothes went into the cabinet. He wasn't doing Mary Poppins, you know, magic stuff. He wasn't doing stuff at home to show off that he could work miracles. And, you know, uh, when they're all playing and somebody falls and hurts themselves, he wasn't just and heal that boo-boo, right? That... That helps me a lot because that helps me to see how human Jesus was fully man. He was fully human. He didn't, whatever special powers he had, whatever miracles he was able to work were a direct desire of the father. And so he didn't just go around willy nilly work whatever miracles he wanted to work. He always did what the father wanted him to do. And so if that means you're going to be playing on your skateboard and you're going to get scraped up, you're going to get bumped, you're going to get hurt when the ox rolls the cart over your foot and it's going to hurt, Jesus isn't, isn't a magician. He's the obedient Son of God. And so here his own brothers in his own household don't believe he is who he says he is. Even though he's been out all over the place, he's been... Um, it was at least the Passover before this, so maybe five months ago, of these events that he fed the 5,000 people. He gave them all that bread. It was months before, and, but his brothers might not have been around for that. They probably heard about it because was, that was a lot of people, and it's a small area, and they don't have Twitter to keep up with their news, right? It's all whatever everybody tells the story of. So people, these guys would have heard about all this stuff, but they still didn't believe. They probably were at the wedding in Cana when Jesus turned the water into wine. But notice Jesus was with his disciples, and so Jesus lets his disciples in on what's happening, but Jesus probably didn't even let his brothers in on what was happening. Isn't that wild? There's a lot of times... I mean, there's something to be said about just being an evangelist and wanting everybody to know the truth about Jesus. There's also something here that Jesus was not overly bearing in convincing his brothers of who he was. But at the same time, he doesn't hold back. And he says, you guys, my time has not yet come. Your time is always here. The world can't hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that the works are evil. 
What, what's he saying? What's written between the lines there, right? Guys, the world doesn't hate you. The world hates me because I always say the world's evil. Basically, he's saying you guys love the world. You guys love the works of the world and you're in the world. You guys go on up to the feast. I'm not going to the feast. My time has not yet fully come. So the Feast of Booths, every year in the fall, everybody, or at least representatives from every household, would go to Jerusalem and camp for a week. How do you like that? So what if every year on the 4th of July, there's a representative, we need, we need a representative from every household. Um, we're going to make it easy. We're not going to have everybody camp in Washington, D.C., but everybody in America, go to your state capital and camp for a week. And so sometimes we might take the whole family. Sometimes I might just take the boys. Sometimes I might just take Grace and the little kids. But imagine the state fair, but there's a representative from every household in Indiana camping around the state fair for a week. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that just be like... All your, I mean, like this whole street, all down uh, South Meridian, past, you know, whatever street is where all the Sullivans are. And we always camp in the same spot. And my uncle from South Bend comes down. And my aunt that lives in Albany comes over. And we just, everybody, you know, this is the Sullivan camping area. And oh, look, we're right next door to Cindy's family. And they're all camping. That's what it would be like. And you're remembering and you're celebrating how God took care of us for 40 years of wandering in the desert. Our great, 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 great grandfathers all camped out for 40 years in tents. And God provided for all of their needs. So we're going to remember that and celebrate that by camping out in September every year for a week. So then what else is going to happen? Well, over the course of the, that seven day, eight days of camping, different days are going to have special meaning. Like, sure, the Israelites camped out in the wilderness for 40 years, but do you remember when Moses struck that rock and water flowed out of it? And it gave everybody clean water in the desert to drink? And so there's going to be one day of, of celebrating living water and God miraculously making water come out of a rock in the desert. And it says, in, in, uh, it says that that rock followed them through the wilderness as they traveled. So can you imagine that? That you've got your, your big river of water, this rock gushing water out, and you all go to bed. And then you get up and you travel and you travel and then you go to bed and then you wake up and the rock is actually closer to your camp. You didn't hike away from it. It, it somehow miraculously moved around different. I mean, some people might say there were different springs that they camped by, but that's not what the Bible says. So they'd celebrate that. Another day, they would celebrate the manna. Remember how God gave manna every day? Not every day, on the Sabbath he didn't want you to work for it, so he'd make it not spoil for 20, 24 hours, that extra time. Celebrate that. Remember the time that all the poisonous snakes came out and killed a whole bunch of people, but whoever looked at the snake on the pole got rescued? They'd celebrate that. So you're camping out for seven or eight days, 
celebrating the whole exodus, celebrating the whole time of wandering in the wilderness and how God took care of you. And then every day has special focused celebration days. And Jesus' brothers, you got it. You got to go to this, Jesus. If you're a big wig, if you're a famous dude and you want to show everybody, everybody's going to be there. You got to go make yourself known, make it make an appearance. If you want people to follow you, you got to go where the crowds are. So he remains in Galilee. Why? Because it's not his time. See, if he wants to be famous, if Jesus in his will, in his desire, wants to be famous, he would go. But he doesn't do what he wants. He does what the Father wants. He does the Father's will all the time, every day, every night. He's listening to what the Father wants him to do. And I can only imagine everybody, every household, representatives from every household go. So he's either going to be in Galilee in solitude and just totally alone or He's going to be in Galilee with all the people that didn't go. And the people that didn't go, who are they going to be? I mean, sure, there's people that couldn't go, right? They need to stay back and and take care of the sheep or take care of the goats or whatever. There's people that need to stay back and and do something because of work or, or commitment, whatever. But there's also people that can't go because of their health. So Jesus has stayed home for a little while because of people that are too unhealthy to go to the festival, to go to the thing. He's also staying behind because there's people that don't want to go. I don't care that it's a requirement that everybody in the household goes to this. I'm not going. There are those people that are staying behind and Jesus is behind with them. So we don't get a lot of details about that, but just in reality, If Jesus sticks around in Galilee while everyone who's required to goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be with that crowd of people, those people, for a couple days. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. So he waited until it was the Father's will that he go, and then he went. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, no, he's leading people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one openly spoke of him. So Jesus has has taught enough people. He has healed enough people. He has fed enough people that as every household in Jerusalem Every household in Israel sends a representative to Jerusalem. Everybody knows about Jesus. And they are divided. Nobody knows what to think. You've probably got a crowd of people who are walking that have never walked before, who are seeing that hadn't seen before, that have firsthand experienced Jesus. And they are in that mode of, Like the guy that was born blind. I don't know who he is. All I know is I was healed. And it was by this guy. There's other people that are like, I don't know who he is, but I was there 
when there were 5,000 men and we all ate our fill and he had food coming out of nowhere and we all ate and we were all full. And then the next day, all of the people that were with him left on a boat and he didn't. I saw them get into the boat and leave and the next day we found him on the other side. I don't know how he got across that lake, but he did. There's first-hand people. Then there's the second-hand people, right? My brother says... He saw Jesus heal somebody. My brother says, my cousin heard. There's all those people. Everybody's heard about Jesus and they're all talking. But for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him because they know the Jewish leaders are not liking Jesus. So you've got all the people. They have diverse opinions about Jesus, but they all know that the leadership the Jewish leadership does not like Jesus. And, and they, they still respect the leadership. They still honor the leadership. They are believing the teachings of the leadership. But they know the leadership is against Jesus. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. So now, everybody goes to the, you know, again, just think of it like the state fair. Everybody's there. And all of a sudden, on the main stage at the, at the state fair, before John Cougar Mellencamp goes up to open, there's this guy. And it's the guy we've all been talking about. And it's the guy we've all heard about. And we know the Jews want to kill him. And he's on the stage. And he's talking. <gasps> the Jews marvel at him. They say, how does this man have learning when he has never studied? Because they would all know. They know every single rabbi in Israel. They would know who taught him. Who did he learn from? Where did he come from? And here's this guy teaching amazing stuff. And nobody's claiming him. Nobody knows where he came from. So Jesus answered them. My teaching is not mine. But his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will. He will know whether the teaching is from God or if I'm speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Basically, Jesus is saying, look, 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 I'm not up here teaching this awesome stuff so you'll think I'm awesome. I'm just teaching what I've been taught by God. And I want you guys to think that God is awesome. I want your focus and your amazement to be not on amazed that I came up with this teaching. Be amazed at the teaching. Be amazed that God is teaching this. It's, it's kind of like um, there's been times when I've juggled and I've juggled publicly and I'm trying to put on a show and I'm trying to hype. I mean, like, really, this isn't an example. Like, I run out and juggle. And people see me juggle. And I'm doing this really hard juggling deal, and I get a comment on my shoes. And I'm like, seriously, I have been practicing this juggling for all this time, and you notice that I have gold spray paint on my shoes. Like, that is not the point here. That, the point, did you see what the clubs did? Did you see those balls? Did you see the torches and the knives? I don't do torches and knives. Instead of hearing all this awesome stuff that Jesus is saying, 
and being amazed at God, they are concerned about where he got a seminary degree. Where'd this guy learn this stuff? What? Who, who taught this man? How do you learn all this? Because he's a country bumpkin. You can tell by his accent. You can tell by his accent that he is not educated. Who, who taught him this stuff? Where did he learn it? There's a little subtle warning in there for us, right? Of, and I mean, I'm as guilty of it as any one of us. When you hear some awesome, incredible thing about the Bible, and that nugget is coming, and it's coming to your soul, and God is about ready to teach you something awesome, and you're like, that dude's voice was so annoying. That nugget, that awesome nugget from the Lord of Bible teaching just bounces right off and you don't get it, right? Or the music's too loud. That drummer, at that, that's, what, that's me, right? I couldn't even think the music was so loud at that church and all these awesome nuggets that are coming to my soul get missed, right? Sometimes it's on the radio. Sometimes it's in a conversation. You might be talking to somebody and, and they've got something, this, oh gosh, Seriously, how often does this happen? You're talking to some homeless guy that just reeks of alcohol and smells terrible and his hair's crazy and he's talking about aliens and then he's got this one little Bible verse insight that's awesome. And you have to work so hard to hear that little nugget of truth surrounded by the conversation about aliens and crazy hair and all that business. Sometimes, we, you know, the little uh, call to worship about listening to God and hearing God. Sometimes God whispers in the middle of all that craziness. And that's, that's what these Pharisees, the, Jew, the Jewish leaders missed it. Jesus has this awesome teaching and they don't care about the awesome teaching. They just want to know where he went to school. How did he learn this stuff? The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him there is no falsehood. There is a, uh, a great missionary philosophy of evangelism that revolves all around. You don't get this, this guy. Um, you don't get people to, to be convinced that Jesus is real. You don't convince them that evolution is false. You don't, you know, all the different arguments. If you can just convince them to trust the Bible, that the Bible, the words of the Bible might be true. And then give them a Bible. This might be true. What are the implications? What if the Bible is true? What if the Gospel of John is true? Here, take it and go read it. And just consider that it might be true. That, that's what Jesus is doing here. I'm not speaking to draw attention to me. I'm not, I'm not trying to draw glory to myself. I'm not trying to convince you anything about me. I just want you to consider that maybe the words that were given to me might be true. So that the glory will be on him. I have a buddy and he went and he led a retreat in Oahu. So how awesome would that be, right? Hey, we, we want you to come. We're going to have a men's retreat from our church and we're going to get a whole bunch of guys together and we want to study the Bible for three days. Will you come be the speaker and we'll fly you out and we'll take care of you? So he thought about it and he said yes. So he goes to Oahu 
and he gets picked up by this guy that's the host that's running the, you know running the organizing it but but he's the teacher and he and he hangs out with this guy for th- for like 3 days before the retreat then they have the retreat and then he hangs out with the guy for another 2 days and as they're hanging out there's a whole bunch of shut-ins at the church like it's like half and half and they're going to visit, to visit, to visit, to visit, to visit. And he's basically giving the mini version of the retreat to each of these shut-in folks that can't come. And as they're driving from place to place, the guy's host is discussing the retreat and talking about what they did, right? Do you see what's happening here? So the guy leaves, comes back to Evansville. That guy that was the host that got the retreat preached to him like 19 times, like 40 times, is totally on fire. And so he gets the church together and he revisits the retreat and the topics of the retreat. Well, it was a men's retreat and all the guys went home and they told their wives it was fun. So now all the wives want to know what was the topic of the retreat. So now they're all hearing it on Sunday. They're hearing it on Sunday over and over again. So my buddy is reflecting on all this and he says, I don't know how many people I reached in that retreat, but it's obvious that this one guy is on fire. And he is now going around torching everyone else, so to speak, and teaching and teaching and teaching and teaching. That guy, so my buddy went and did the retreat and he didn't draw all the attention to himself. He didn't preach about himself and how awesome he is because if he did, as soon as he comes back to the mainland, the fire goes out. He went and he talked about the glory of God and somebody got it and they are going directly to God to learn more about the glory of God and it, and it goes on from there. That is the best kind of evangelism we can do. If we can connect people to God directly, connect people to Jesus on their own, that you don't need me to show up and do the Bible study. You can do this yourself. The, that's when they get it. They really get it. So then verse 19, Jesus says, Has not, hasn't Moses given you the law? I love, I love when stuff like this happens. Jesus had such a sense of humor. He was such, sometimes Jesus was a real punk. He is talking, imagine, he is talking to the Pharisees, the experts of all, everything Judaism, the whole Old Testament. These guys got it memorized, even Ezekiel. And he says to them, didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps it. Why do you seek to kill me? All right, now that's weird, right? Why do you want to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who wants to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. You just think it's amazing that I do, I do one miracle. Moses gave you circumcision. Not that it's from Moses, but from the church fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a whole man's body well? What's he talking about? 
When Jesus healed, there are many, many times where Jesus would deliberately heal somebody on the Sabbath. There's a couple reasons for that. I'll talk about it in just a second. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision, so the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Don't judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So he's, he's saying, don't you have the law? The law says that on the eighth day of a boy's life, he should be circumcised, whether that falls on the Sabbath or not. And so here I am, Jesus, I show up and I come to the synagogue on the Sabbath. For one, that's when it's going to be the most crowded. Just like if I came in here and preached a sermon on Thursday morning, there would be phone calls made, right? That would be weird. Jesus shows up on the Sabbath. He finds people that need to be healed. And he heals them right there in front of the Jewish leaders. Why? Because all the Jewish leaders are there on the Sabbath. He wants to make known that he has power to heal. He also wants to make known that even on the Sabbath, God works. God rested on the seventh day, and that's why we have the Sabbath, to reflect. But that doesn't stop God from working. And so God is still working, and they're furious about it. They're all mad. You come and heal some other day, but don't heal on the Sabbath. Because if you're a healer, that's your work, and you're working on the Sabbath. Not to mention if you tell a guy to pick up his mat and walk, and he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath, that breaks the Sabbath too. So that's what all of this is saying. The other fun thing, when he says, why do you want to kill me? All the people think he's crazy. But those Jewish leaders are confronted at that point. And they're confronted and they have a choice to make and they have a choice to listen. When he says, why do you want to kill me? They know deep in their hearts, they want to kill him. And it's, it's almost a little joke because he's all of a sudden saying, I know what you guys are talking about. And I'm not afraid to look like a fool and to say what you guys are talking about in front of all these people. How scary would that be if you were one of the Jewish leaders and you're having these closed room, private conversations. If he rises to power, we need to kill him. They might not even be saying it. They might be implying it. They might be thinking it on the inside. And right there at the state fair, on the stage before John Mellencamp sings, Jesus says, why are you guys thinking, why are you guys having these private conversations about killing me? You'd be like, okay, either we got a spy in our midst, right? Somebody, some, we, there's a mole up here that's told Jesus what we're talking about. Or what if he really is from God and he knows? He knows what we're talking about. All right, I want to do one last little section in here. So now they're really confused. The crowd is confused. The Jewish leaders are confused. People in Jerusalem are saying, isn't this the man that they want to kill? Isn't that wild? So now word has spread amongst the people that the Jewish leaders want to kill him. And they're all confused. Here he is speaking openly on the main stage at the state fair. And they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? 
But we know that this man, where this man comes from, when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temples. Jesus knows what the crowd is thinking. He knows what the crowd is talking about, what they're, they're stumbling, what they're struggling with. He says, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him and they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? So he starts to say, you think you know where I came from, but you don't know where I came from. You really don't. And the one that sent me, he knows where I came from and I've seen him. So this is all right on the edge of blasphemy. Um, the, the very most basic Jewish belief is, listen, Israel, the Lord is one. There's only one God. That's, they would recite that every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. There's only one God. And here he's saying, I got sent by him. And I'm equal to him. And if you listen to me, you're listening to him. That, that is right on the edge of the prayer they would pray every single morning. He's right on the edge of violating that. So that's why they want to arrest him. At the same time, they're like, oh, we go. Do, we, oh, do we arrest this guy? I mean, a whole bunch of people like him. A whole bunch of people hate him. But he said, I know him. This is verse 29. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. That's pretty blunt. It's pretty direct. It's not there's some secret Bible teacher that you guys don't know about. It's God, the Creator, sent me. I'm going to skip one little section all the way to the end. Um, skip down to... So they send the, the... Oh, it's the very next thing. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things. The chief priests and the Pharisees send officers to arrest him. So the Pharisees and the chief priests had their own army. They had their own security guards and they send them to arrest Jesus. Skip down to verse 45. The officers came back to the chief priests and the Pharisees and they said, why didn't you bring him in? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Nobody ever taught like this guy. They just can't. Wow. We, how offensive would that be? Right. Imagine the elders. The, the, uh, imagine the bishops. Imagine the Pope. Imagine this big religious count. Imagine Billy Graham. Billy Graham's got henchmen and he says, go arrest this guy. He's teaching wrong things. And the guy comes back. and He's like, Billy, nobody ever preached like this guy. Not even you. That's what they're saying. They come back to the priest and they're like, nobody ever. Pharisees, uh, your honor. Nobody ever taught like this guy teaches. We, couldn't, we didn't even want to arrest him. His teaching was so awesome. So we're going to jump back into this next week. But this whole section, look at how much Jesus is not drawing attention to himself. He's drawing attention to God the Father. How much he's not saying, you got to listen to my teachings. you got to believe everything I say because I'm awesome. He's saying, if you believe what I say, you're believing God. 
Did Moses give you the law? Okay, that law, who, who gave Moses that law? God gave Moses that law? God's giving me the teachings that I'm giving you. If you want to draw close to what Moses, the teacher that Moses had, draw close to the teacher that I have and seek that out and seek that glory. Seek his glory. This all reminds me of a buddy I have. Um, he's in a... He's a missionary in a country that we can't talk about. And he is really doing some innovative stuff from the Lord. And people would say stuff, you know, well, God helps those who help themselves, you know, and or, you know, some some kind of thing. And, and he'd say, you know, it's fine for you to believe that, but the Bible doesn't say that. And that would really catch people off guard. And there would be all kinds of different statements people would make about God. You know, I think Jesus, this, I think God this. And he'd say, that's okay for you to believe that, but that's not what the Bible says. And it was so awesome because all of a sudden the argument wasn't between what I think and what you think. It was, what's the Bible say about that? People would say, you know, I, I think it's okay for you to do X, Y, Z. And he'd say, that's fine for you to believe that, but that's not what the Bible says. And all of a sudden it's not him they're fighting against, it's the Bible. Oh, what does the Bible say about that? Instead of, you shouldn't do that. Now you're fighting against me. Jesus was the master at this. And he puts that same mastery and that same skill in us. To direct people not towards our opinions and not towards our great ideas. And not towards our big, oh, schemes. But to direct people towards God. And direct people towards the glory of God that is still speaking and still instructing, guiding, and helping. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for doing it. Thank you for being our guide. Thank you for how good Jesus was at teaching and showing mercy and compassion and leading people to the Father. And we pray, Lord, this week that as you show off your Holy Spirit in us, that we would be able to speak to other people in ways that lead them towards you, that we would not lead people to ourselves, that we would not seek our own glory, but that we would seek the glory of the one who has sent us and that we would see you glorified even as we do it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.